Would you stand with me for this next scripture reading? I'll be reading from Colossians chapter 1. Colossians 1, 1 to 14. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you've already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of His will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, and giving joyful thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of His holy people in the kingdom of light. For He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness, and brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. We're going to begin today a series of sermons that will take us through the New Testament book of Colossians. Colossians is a letter that was written by the Apostle Paul to a group of early Christians. And both at the beginning of this letter and then also at the end of it, the Apostle touches on the subject of prayer. You may have noticed him going into great detail here about the way that he's praying for these believers in, in that early church. And I'd like us just to notice three things about this. Let's notice, notice first that the Apostle prays for these people. Just notice that he prays. Secondly, let's notice what he prays for these people. And then third, I want us to think about why. Why he prays for them. So first, did you notice that the Apostle Paul prays for these believers? And we all say, of course, big deal. But you know, that's what you would expect. Apostles are supposed to pray. That's his, that's his job to do that. Yes, that, that's true. But I, I, I think that Paul's prayer here for these Christians are really remarkable. It's remarkable that he's praying for them and, and for several reasons. And the first is this. We will find out when we get to the last chapter of this book that when Paul wrote this letter, he was in prison. He was uh, the very last verse of the last chapter. Paul says to them, remember my chains. He's probably in Rome in prison thinking every morning that he wakes up that this might be his last day of life. 
possibly waiting his execution. So that's what's going on in his life. When he writes this letter, he is facing a personal crisis. Now, I don't know if you're like me, but the way I am, when I'm going through a personal crisis, time of discouragement or pain or fear, my first instinct is not to think about praying for others. It's just, I'll admit that to you, I'm ashamed of that, but I'm thinking about myself. But Paul here, he's going through this desperate crisis in his life, and yet, and yet he says he's praying for them, continually praying. So that's one reason his prayers are, are remarkable. Another is that the people for whom Paul is praying, the people he's writing this letter to, these are people he has never met. He doesn't, he doesn't know them personally. Uh, as far as we know, Paul never traveled to the city of Colossae. This is not one of the churches that he planted. You see in verse 7 and 8 that uh, there was a Christian leader named Epaphras. Epaphras is the man who had started the church in Colossae. He has traveled back to Paul to give him a report about that church. So the, Paul has no personal relationship at all with the people to whom he's writing this letter. And yet... Verse 9, he says, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. So Paul is going through a crisis. These are people he doesn't even know. He's only heard about them. And one more reason his prayers are remarkable is because everything he has heard about them is good. He's heard nothing but a good report. He hasn't, it's not like Epaphras came and told him that they were facing persecution in Colossae. That's not going on. He hasn't reported that there's a, a church split or division. That's not going on. There hasn't been some kind of natural disaster in their, their region of the world. Look, look at verse 3 and 4. He says, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you because we've heard of what? We've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. And of your love, the love you have for all God's people. He goes on in verse 6, he says that he's heard that the gospel is bearing fruit among them. End of verse 6, he says that they, he's heard that they truly understand God's grace. Verse 8, Epaphras, he says, has told me, quote, of your love in the Spirit. So everything he's heard about these people is positive. And uh, isn't that strange that he's praying? I, very often, are you like this? We don't really, really pray for someone unless we hear something bad is going on. Their marriage is in trouble. Well, let's pray. You know, he, he found out he has a heart condition. Well, let's pray. She, she might be losing her job. Well, let's pray. It's, it's bad things that incite us to pray. He's heard nothing but good. So, you see why I say that I find his prayers remarkable? Um, these are people Paul doesn't even know. They are not going through a crisis. He is going through a crisis. And yet he just keeps praying and praying and praying for them. Now listen, what that teaches me, listen guys, that teaches me that our prayers for each other are probably far more important than we realize. It is, it is vitally important as Christians that we be praying for others in our church. So I, I, wonder if, I wonder if this last week, and this is not to send anyone on a guilt trip, but I wonder if you prayed for others in your church this last week. I would bet that there are at least some of us who went through a discouraging time in the last few days. and just needed someone to pray for us. 
I, I, I'm confident that there were people in our church this last seven days who were perhaps fighting with really fierce temptations in their life and just needed a brother or sister to intercede for them before the throne of God. I, I, I would imagine there are people who in, in our church are feeling lonely or, or a sense of despair. Just as a pastor with my years of experience, on almost any given week, there's someone in the congregation who's thinking that life is so bad they might want to end it. That's just the way it always is. We need to be praying for each other. Um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a German theologian, wrote this. He said, a Christian fellowship lives and exists by the intercession of its members for one another or it collapses. So guys, as, as a church, as a, as a community of faith, I don't think we can overstate how important it is for us to be in prayer for our brothers and sisters. It, some of you have perhaps read uh, Ephesians chapter 6. In Ephesians 6, the apostle talks about um, the spiritual warfare that is constantly being waged against, listen, every follower of Jesus Christ. He, he says in Ephesians 6, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. I wonder if you've ever felt like that. You just feel like there, there's just evil working against me and my family. And so in that chapter, verse 18, you know what Paul says? He says, with this in mind, always, always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. So it, it's, it's, it's important that we be doing this. So first we notice that the apostle prayed for them. Now, now let's notice what he prayed for them. Um, verse 9 through 12 the apostle gives his readers a detailed explanation of exactly what it is that he's asking God to do for them when he prays for them. And, and you can find uh, passages like this in several places of Paul's writings where he just explains, this is what I'm praying as I pray for you. If you look in the book of Ephesians, 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, the book of Philippians, the book of Romans, you'll find these apostolic prayers. And, and it explains, this is what I'm, I'm praying for you. Now, if you look at verse 9 through 12, it, it, it's, pretty, um, it, it's pretty intense stuff. So just to kind of break it down, there's one specific thing Paul asked for. One, he asked for God to do one thing in their life with, with the thought that this one thing will produce something else. And then he describes what that something else is. So let me break it down. In verse 9, Paul says, he says to the Colossians, I am praying that God will give you a greater understanding of his will. That, that God will give you spiritual insight and wisdom so that you will understand the will of God. So that, verse 10, he says, so that you will live a life that's pleasing to Jesus. So that everything about your life will be worthy of the Lord who has redeemed you. So he's praying for these two. The one thing, greater knowledge of God's will, so that you'll live worthy of Jesus. And then there are, there are four present participles where he just describes. When I talk about a life worthy of Jesus, this is what I'm talking about. He says it means you're bearing fruit in every good work. 
All right? It means you are growing in the, the knowledge of God. You're growing in your relationship with God. He, he says, verse, verse 11, it means that you are being strengthened with God's power so that you, so that you have perseverance, you don't give up. And finally, it, it means that you are giving thanks, that you have a grateful heart. He says, giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. So this is what Paul is praying for these Christians in this city called Colossae. Now, um, I, I wonder if you'll agree with this. I, I am convinced that as Christians, when we pray, we need to allow the Holy Spirit to guide us in our prayers. Would, would you agree with that? That we, the Bible says pray in the Spirit. There's a sense in which we need to let the Holy Spirit guide us as we talk to God. And I would tell you this. Perhaps the best way to allow the Holy Spirit to guide you in your prayers is to let Scripture shape your praying. Why? Why? Because the Holy Spirit, He is the one who inspired the Scripture when it was written. So if, I mean, what better way to let Him guide the way you pray than to say, Holy Spirit, take this book you inspired and shape my prayers with it. Now, um, I, I learned the importance of doing that years ago by a woman named Ruth Bonney. Uh, back in the mid-1980s, after I finished college, I spent two years working as a volunteer with a Christian ministry in a Latin American country. And there was this one couple who were working in that ministry, um, Dwayne and Ruth Bonney. Um, they were both North Americans, but they were in their late 50s, and they had basically lived their entire adult lives in Latin America. So they both, they, their, Spanish was their second language, but they spoke it fluently. And as someone who was struggling to learn Spanish, I had great envy of how well they spoke that language. So one day uh, when I was there, I went into the office of this ministry where I was working, and I saw Mrs. Bonnie sitting at her desk with a book in front of her and a pad of paper, and she was writing things down. And I said, hello, Mrs. Bonnie, what are you doing? And she said, I'm working on my vocabulary. And I was so impressed. I mean, to me, her Spanish was amazingly good, and I said, Mrs. Bonnie, you speak Spanish fluently. You're still working on your vocabulary? And she said something I did not expect. She said, I'm not working on my Spanish vocabulary. She said, I'm working on my praise vocabulary. And I said, what do you mean? And she said this when she said, I, I just feel like my prayers have, be have become very routine very predictable. I'm always saying the very same thing to God every time I pray. And I, and, I, and I realize that I want to increase my capacity to be able to tell God things about Him that I love. I want to be able to, I want to have a richer vocabulary for praising the Lord. So she said, what I'm doing is I'm going through the whole book of Psalms. I'm just reading one Psalm after another. And every time I read a phrase, something I can say to my God to praise Him, I'm writing it down in this notebook and I'm learning all these words. I want to increase my capacity to praise God. I, I had never heard of anyone doing that before. And, and, I, and I realized we can let Scripture teach us how to pray. Now, this passage is a good one for doing that. Not, not necessarily prayers of praise, but prayers of intercession. A passage like this can teach us how to pray for others. So, here's how this passage has helped me 
and um, you don't have to do this. <laughs> this is just me, all right? But um, for now, about 25 years, this has been my, my da daily prayer life, all right? And, I, and let me tell you, I am very much a creature, a, a creature of habit, all right? I like to have routine in my life. My wife can tell you about that. I have my little ritual to go to bed, my little ritual to wake up. I do things. I'm a very boring guy, all right? So, um, but I have a list of people that I pray for every day. The list changes from season to season. Some of you are on that list. I have a list of people every day I pray for them. On, here's how I use this passage. On Mondays, I pray for the people on my list and myself. I pray that we will be growing in our knowledge of God's will. I, I pray that God will give us insight into His Word. I pray, I, I pray, God, for the people on my list, would you help them through this day, help them to recognize what is true and what is false. Help, help them as they go through this day to discern that which is of lasting value, that which is of only temporary. Just give us wisdom. On, that's Mondays. On Tuesday, I pray that we will walk worthy of Jesus, that our lives will be pleasing to Him. So I might pray, God, would you help us uh, may the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart be pleasing in your sight. If I'm praying for non-Christians, I'll pray, Holy Spirit, will you, as Jesus promised, will you convict them of sin and judgment and righteousness, not so that they'll despair, but so that they'll run to Jesus. So that's Tuesday. On Wednesday, I pray that we will bear, bear fruit in every good work. So if you're on my list, all right, on Wednesdays, I am praying that God will bless your finances. I'm praying that God will help you at your job or help you in school. I, I'm praying that you'll be fruitful in every good endeavor. I might be praying, God, help them to do well in their sports. Help them to do well in their art. Help them to do well in their housekeeping. Help them to do well in their ministry. May they be fruitful. On Thursdays, I pray that we will grow in our knowledge of God. That we will have a hunger for His Word. That He will pour out His Spirit on us in a fresh way. On Friday, I'm praying for strength for healing, especially for those who are ill. On Saturdays, I pray for endurance and patience, that God will help us to set worthy goals in life and that He will not let us be deterred by either distraction or discouragement. And then on Sundays, some of you, I prayed this for you today, I pray for joy, that you will have a grateful heart, that you will give thanks to Jesus. For those on my list who are not Christians, I pray, 1 Peter 2, Father, won't you please call them out of darkness into your marvelous light that they might declare your praise. Sometimes they envision non-Christians, I know, in a church, worshiping God and rejoicing in Jesus. And I say, God, that's what I want for them. For those who are Christians, I pray that God will remind them of every good thing they have in Jesus and that their hearts will fill with joy. So you don't have to follow that pattern. But do you see how Scripture can shape our prayers? And I'll be honest with you, before I started using this, this passage that way, you know how I prayed for people? God, bless them. Bless Charlie, bless Susie, bless Sally, bless Mike, bless... You know, I didn't have... I, I just said the same thing every day. And then this passage taught me there are deep, deep ways to intercede for each other. So, that's what the apostle prays for. We notice that he prays. We notice what he prays. Now finally, let's just think about why he prays for them. And that's a serious question. If you think about it, the one specific thing Paul is asking for these Colossians is that they will grow in their knowledge, 
grow in their knowledge of God's will. So if you want them to grow in their knowledge, Paul, why don't you just write a little bit more in the letter? I mean, you're already writing a letter. You want them to know God's will, so just put another chapter or two and explain God's will to them. Why? In other words, why pray if what you want is an increase in their knowledge? I'll tell you why. Two reasons why he prays. And he doesn't just give them information. Two reasons why. First, this might sound strange to some. Some of you, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. For you and I to flourish into the kind of men and women that God created us to be. For, for, for us to flourish into the kind of people that Jesus died for us to be. Listen, there are certain things that have to happen in us that only God can do. They are supernatural. There are things that only God can do them. Someone can't explain them to us. We can't learn them by reading a book. We can't make them happen through our hard effort. They can't be taught to us. There are certain things that, that only God can do here. So you'll notice that, that Paul is praying for one of those things. Verse 9, he says, We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of His will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. He's saying, guys, I... Even if I wrote this out for you, I could not give you what I'm, what I'm praying. Only the Holy Spirit could work this in your life. The wisdom and understanding the Spirit gives. You could translate that spiritual wisdom, and not intellectual wisdom. Spiritual wisdom and understanding. So, um, one reason Paul prays for them, and parents, this is a reason you should be praying for your kids. And, and brothers and sisters, this is a reason we should be praying for each other. And members of ACC, this is a reason you should pray for your pastors and elders and, and, and leaders. Because there are things that have to happen in our lives that can only happen if the living God does them. They will not happen in any other way. Only God can do that. So that's one reason why he prays. Second reason why he prays and why we should pray is because, listen, when we ask God to do those things that only He can do, He will do them. Now, I know you're wanting to yell, amen, but you have the mask on, we can't, but listen, when we as people purchased by the blood of Jesus, when we ask God to do those things that He's revealed in His will, He wants to do, things only He can do when we ask he answers. Um, so, if, if you are in Christ, you've come to Christ by faith, you've trusted Him. Listen, you do not have a God who is apathetic about your needs. Paul calls your God in verse 3. He says, He is our Father. I don't know if you had a loving, kind, caring Father. All right? But whether you did or didn't, Christian, you have one now. Your Father God cares deeply about everything going on in your life. We, we don't have a God who's apathetic about us. And if, and if we placed our faith in Christ, Paul goes on to this at the end of the passage. When we come to our Father, 
Guess what? We are welcomed into his presence. Look, look at verse 12. He says, God, God qualified us to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. You and I, in our own, we're not qualified for this, but God qualified you. Verse 13, God has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and has brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves. Verse 14, in Jesus we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So it, because of these things, because of what God has done for us through Christ, when we come to Him in prayer, guess what? We are welcomed with arms open wide. Now when I was in, uh, when I was in 10th grade, I had an after school job working at a chicken farm, an, an egg farm, right near my house in central New Jersey where I grew up. And uh, I would go to come home from school, rush over to the farm, work for several hours, come back by dinner time. And uh, when I came back, I stunk. I mean, I was just covered with chicken stuff. You know what I'm talking about, right? And I smelled horrible. And very often my mother, when I was rushing in the house, I'm ready, I'm hungry for dinner, she would stop me and say, you are not coming in this house smelling like that. You are not coming in here. And so I would have to go to the garage and strip down to my underwear, leave all my smelly clothes behind, and then I could come in. Now, what a weird story, right? Have you ever had the secret fear that when you come to the Father's house, to your Father with some deep need for someone you love, that you might be welcomed that way? You're, you are not coming here. God says, you're not you. You stink. I smell your sin all over you. Your selfishness, your unbelief, your, un your lack of love for others, your impurity. You are not coming in here smelling like that. Have you ever had that secret fear that maybe when you go to God, He would not welcome you? What the Apostle is telling us in this passage, Christian, is that you never, ever, ever need to fear receiving that from God. Ever. He, he says, listen, he says in verse 14, in Christ we have redemption. Redemption means that a price was paid for you. What was the price? The blood of Christ on Calvary. In Christ we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So I just want to tell you on the authority of God's word, if you have turned from your sins and trusted in Jesus, and you might feel like the worst Christian in the planet today, but if you have turn from your sins and trust it in Jesus, all of your sin has been permanently washed away. You are clean and clear and delightful in the Father's eyes. And if, listen, if you've never come to Christ that, that way, today would be a great day to start trusting Him. He would welcome you. You could turn to Him. He would receive you. We have forgiveness of sins. So, why, why, does, why did Paul pray? Because listen, there's some things only God can do. And when we go to God in prayer, He'll do them. He hears us. Let me, let me close by just reading a short reading. This is by a Christian author named Tamela Turbeville. And this is what she writes. 
She says there is a misconception. There is a misconception that only certain people are called or gifted to be intercessory prayer warriors. People in our churches and in our lives who seem to have that special, intimate connection with God. She says, Christian, the truth is we are all called to pray for others. Whether we believe it or not, we are all equipped to intercede on behalf of others. We are heirs with Christ. We are adopted sons and daughters. Therefore, we possess the same power and access to God that our Savior Jesus enjoys. We can whisper, we can cry out, we can offer our request to our Heavenly Father, and He hears us. She writes this, As Christians, our prayers do not bounce off the ceiling or dissipate like fog. God hears us when we pray for others, and He answers. The answer may not come quickly. The reply may not be what we expect. Or, because God is gracious, gracious, we might receive much more than we ask. Either way, she says, when we pray for others, God answers our prayers. So guys, um, just to conclude, we can't overstate how important it is for us to pray for each other, for people we love. I hope you're doing that. And and to allow the Holy Spirit through Scripture to teach us to pray in deeply insightful ways for others. And and to pray with this confidence that because of what Christ has done for us, washing us clean from all sin, when we come to the Father in prayer, we stand before Him accepted. He listens to what we ask of Him. And He responds. Amen. Amen.